Welcome to the NCMI podcast. We believe that elders of a local church are the highest human governing authority of that local church, and so they're tasked to form doctrine for that church. But how does an eldership team form doctrine, and how does it do that along with the NCMI team? Marcus Herbert, who leads the eldership team at Cornerstone Church in Johannesburg, South Africa, will be sharing on this topic today. We hope you enjoy this. For more resources, go to ncmi.net. I'm going to move off script. Um, my session was how NCMI and eldership teams form theology. Well, when we find out, we'll let you know. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't really joke about this because it is really a serious thing. And nowadays, this is the attack. Uh, we are being forced into reinterpreting Scripture against cultural norms. Uh, and cultural norms are open to everybody's interpretation. And if you have an opinion, that's the truth. And so there's no longer a plumb line of truth anywhere. And one of the things we need to celebrate in our togetherness is the thing of good sound doctrine. And you know, Paul, in his encouragement to Timothy, would always talk to him in that way. And, and you know, always do those things that are going to promote sound doctrine, not doctrine. Paul could never say doctrine on its own, because doctrine on its own is uh, it's something you, could, you just read. Sound doctrine, it's healthy doctrine. In other words, the doctrine that when it's taught is going to produce kingdom health. That's what our goal is. And let me tell you now, if there are so many people in this room, there are so many opinions on, on what is doctrine and what is not doctrine and what's important and what's not important. But over the 40 years of our kind of togetherness, it's a difficult one to, to kind of pinpoint exactly because there is a body of doctrine that is healthy and produces kingdom that we have stumbled upon. It wasn't like we had an epiphany in a cave and we had six dreams and a download and, you know, Dudley Daniel wrote them down and now we kind of march. It's on the job. And it seems like that's how it happens in the book of Acts. It's while we are pioneering, while we are planting churches, we think, goodness, we better know how to handle divorce. So get into the Word and kind of study the word and find out, you know, what's important there. Look, a lot of stuff that has become the liberty that we operate with now came from um, primarily Dudley in kind of the early days of his ministry. He could never sleep beyond three o'clock in the morning. So from three until when normal people wake up, he would just read through his Bible. And he kind of got us to love reading through the Bible. And as he read through, Greg talked about God always took him to the book of Acts. Same with Dudley. And as he kept reading through, he saw a pattern for planting and a pattern for pioneering into new regions. The apostolic in action. In other words, Acts 28, um, Matthew 28 in action in the book of Acts. And he said, that's what I believe God has called me to. And around that has formed a lot of the doctrine that we know. After that came Ephesians 4 how a translocal team is fitted together and what a translocal team should do. So this isn't just like, you know, let's shoot from the hip. I think this uh, kind of move of God, if you want to call NCMI team that, was birthed in the charismatic move. It kind of started there 
and we know the indictment against the charismatics and the Pentecostals by the conservative evangelicals were a mile wide and a inch deep. And so you have this big tussle, is it word or spirit? Remember, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you neither know the word nor the spirit. It's not, it's, it's, they never split. Because the very outpouring of God is going to draw us closer to his word. And the very uh, closeness of his word is going to cause us to have faith in what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so this thing of doctrine is important. And so where other kind of families of churches or whatever you want to call us, a translocal team, have seminaries and they churn out ministers who have that set of vision and values, you have got so many opinions in, in those that partner with, with NCMI. You have all kind, second coming. You know, as many chapters as Revelation times 20, you're going to have opinions. You know, that's just how it is. But I think what we've begun to realize is let's agree on those non-negotiables. Let's agree on the non-negotiables. In other words, one baptism, one Savior, you know, one Father, all those ones. And let's find unity in that so that it can support our differences. And I've enjoyed that because um, I started out as a historicist with my understanding of second coming, and it was more post-trib to where I'm now a millennial. In, uh, that's the right word? in my understanding, just in kind of reading through and, and beginning to understand. And so if none of you know what that means, that's fine, because it's just believe the Bible. That's the main thing. And, and I think there's room in what we do where we're not prescribed to outside of those things for me that are non-negotiables. And, and, you know, there's a set of values that over 40 years have got us to where we are. So why should we discard those? You know, that's the big thing for me. I remember early on in my kind of getting to understand the whole NCMI vibe, I was not at a bloom. I was at a Drakensberg time when it was still only about 100 strong. And uh, we were battling with a divorce issue in our church. And I thought, let me go to Dudley at tea time. And I said, what's our kind of corporate view on divorce? <laughs> he said, I won't answer you now. I'll answer you in the meeting. Actually, it was a team meeting. So he gets up in the team meeting and he says, can you believe it? There's still guys on team today that are asking what is our corporate opinion on divorce, for instance. Why don't they read their Bibles? Why don't they let the Spirit of God teach them? Why don't they come up with an understanding? Yes, I'll tell you. I, I just, I went to Adele. She was sitting next to me. I said, yeah, you know, I can't believe it. She said it was you, wasn't it? <laughs> because we'd been discussing it that night before. Yes, my face was red. And, I, you know, everybody knew, you know, like, yes, the idiot sitting right over there. So just briefly, because I want to talk about one or two other things, is, is how do we form our doctrine? Because you do need to have a sound body of doctrine that you're convicted with. And you yourself know that it's difficult for you to try and build anything when everybody's all over the place. So what are our values? You know, and, and we need to celebrate those. Every church has got an emphasized set of values. And you know, we like to say we may write manuals and books, but our chief document is the Word of God. And we will endeavor as God leads us 
to understand it, to interpret it, and let it guide us in our way forward. And we are open to be changed because we don't know it all. And if we under, understand Acts chapter 2, there's this, or 4, Acts chapter 4, there's this constant process of God revealing stuff to us so that we might mature. And before Christ comes back, there's going to be this constant process. Never the non-negotiables. It's not like we're going to get somewhere down the road and it's, you know, there's another way to salvation beside Christ. No. I just think sometimes the wineskin can dictate something of our vision instead of the truth of God's word dictating the vision. The wineskin needs to change. And it's amazing in a local church when you begin to touch holy cows where the wineskin is almost the truth in people's eyes and not the truth as the truth. People get very upset with that. They really do. You know, like that's the way we do it. Yeah, but if, if there's no more life in it, surely we should do it differently. Breaking a bread. When I kind of joined the Cornerstone um, Church, we broke bread once a month, the last Sunday of every month, and that's the only time we ever broke bread. And in scriptures, for me, whenever we get together, in other words, in homes or couples or families, we should break bread. And uh, I made the mistake because I am not sanctified as I should be. But I kind of got the little glasses and I put them in my eyes. <laughs> and I said, what are these little things? And, and I said, you know, Jesus would think we're a bunch of midgets because these are the cups we drink from and these are the things we eat. And we decided to have a feast. What life. I, tell, I don't know if any of you at Cornerstone were, Glenn, were you at the feast? Yeah. We had an absolute ball. The presence of God was there. There was incredible fellowship. And we need to be able to challenge those as they don't line up to Scripture and as God shows us things. But never the fact of one baptism, one God, you know, one. All of those are important. But we need to be able to, as much as it's possible up to me, live at peace with everyone and, and realize that there could be a different opinion about that or about that. And some of these are the second coming of Christ. Uh, I feel the Great Commission is a non-negotiable. Uh, you know, for me, I can't see how you can build a local church or raise a single believer without helping them understand the importance of the Great Commission. In sharing the gospel, you're part of that. You're making disciples of all nations. And so you are going to, as you plant or as you transition, what is that healthy, sound body of doctrine that you are going to celebrate? And you can't be all over the place. And you can't come one week and go down that road, and the next week you're going down another road, persuaded by books you read or downloads, or, you know, some guy's got a, you know, he had a vision or a dream, and now you're off. I tell you, the steadiness of teaching people God's word ex, in an expositional way is what God's people deserve. And then saying, as an eldership, what is our set of vision and values? And so that's where we form it. And then in relationship to the team, we are kind of corrected with that and we are challenged with that because a lot of those gifts come in and stretch us. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. We have three guys that we partner with. I want to follow on from what Greg said. Uh, we've got Grant Crawford, we've got Richard Preston and, and Tyron himself. So to a lesser degree, Tyron, but Grant and Richard to a greater degree. 
But whenever they visit, we as an eldership afterwards say, what has God said? We do. Has God challenged some of the doctrine? And at times, we've had to correct some things so that we can lead God's people in the right way. But yet, the elders still make the final decision. They can come in by invitation and encourage us. But we as an eldership sit and say, is there anything uh, prophetic? Is there any adjustment that needs to be made? You know, what has God said to us? And then we discuss it. Because as far as uh, Scripture goes, maybe you can read with me Philippians 1 verse 1. You want to put that first pick up, please? A very complicated one. No? Skip fast forward. Philippians, well, we can read a few verses. Let's go, I'll get it up here. So this is what it says in Philippians 1. Yeah, sorry. Make it bigger. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers, and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That is the best five-verse summary of local church. You've got every element you need to be aware of and you need to build with. The key issue of our connection with the translocal team is partnership in the gospel. Is this picture in, your, in the books? That's okay. So that's all I'm trying to do with that over there, that diagram over there is trying to expand Philippians chapter one. So every element is important there. The most important element in a local church are the saints, not the leaders, not the translocal team, the saints. In other words, every single person in our church is important, and we want them to know it, and we're going to give them attention accordingly. That's how we're going to shepherd them. Second thing, the only two leadership officers in the local church are deacons and elders, okay? And sometimes in church, you've got executives, you've got, um, you know, assistant deacons or, you know, overseer elders or, or whatever. There are only two officers that we encourage to ordain into a local church, elders, ordain deacons, and then translocal team help elders, spot the elders, and ordain elders in a local church. That's how it works. The, th the next element that's important is translocal team. Paul and Timothy, their qualifying word, servants. That's what NCMI offers, is to come and to serve in a local church by invitation, but where we have come in, we need to be able to represent what God's showing us. And so it's always a useful thing. What do you see? What is God saying to you? And then, like I said, afterwards, kind of connect with your elders and say, what has God said to us over here? So those are the elements and the context, the overall picture is partnership in the gospel. So, but yet the elders are the local authority that take governmental responsibility. We call it the three Ds of government which is dollars, no, sorry, that's the other one. <clears throat> Direction, doctrine, and discipline. And so God does hold elders responsible 
for the doctrine in a local church. And so where Paul encourages Timothy to make sure he does everything possible to develop sound doctrine, we need to take responsibility. The worst thing is to just download a course and then go and preach it. Or download a sermon and preach it. We need to make sure this thing comes from our hearts and we've understood it. And where it is in our family of churches, there can be more trust kind of associated with that. But don't just go and grasp at ideas that are out there and think, okay, this is the one that'll launch us into the new season. No, what is God saying? So remember, one of the qualifications of an elder is able to teach. And that has to be the most important one about a ministry ability of an elder. Now, if you're able to teach, that means you can read the scriptures, you can understand what God has meant through them, and you're able to translate that into good expository preaching that is going to result in sound doctrine developing. That's the way we lead. And so, churches that have got a reputation for like speedboats, they're all over the place, they find it hard to gather a central core of committed believers with a lot of momentum. It's, they'll attract people as they do this for those short periods of time. Faithful persistence with the truth that we find in Scripture is going to produce fruitfulness season by season. So don't give up on that. If, if you understand the importance of God's Word, you understand that it, it actually speaks into every life of your church. It's the way we run our admin. It's the way we run our children's ministry. It's the way we run everything. It comes from the Word of God. And so God has gifted us with teachers that help us understand. We've had uh, one or two of them outside of NCMI that some of the bones we spit out, but yet some of their stuff has helped us tremendously, especially those teachers have helped us understand how to teach, how to interpret God's Word, how to be good expository preachers. It's changed the way we do our preaching over here. It really has. And so, but yet, resting on the shoulders of the elders is doctrine, is doctrine. And you can read how important it is by reading 1 and 2 Timothy, and you'll see the encouragement of Paul. Sound teaching, you know, teaching's got to be exhortational. It's got to be building up. It's got to do these things. Avoid, you know, myths. And boy, are we in a season of myths at the moment. You know, they're all over the place. It's like the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Actually, rubbish, the Bible says none of that. You are saying that when you read the Bible. But it's not in the Scriptures. And so we are there as guardians of truth. If you think of elders in the Old Testament sat in the gates, and they allowed in and out of that city. We allow in and out of that people and truth and anything else. So if these ideologies are growing up in there, we need to challenge it. And especially with the anti-Christ and anti-God and anti-building you know, community and anti-all of that. We had one year, we had about 25 people leave times two for a group of people who were saying we need more law. We need to practice the Sabbath. And then we had 25 leave because we weren't grace-orientated enough. We were too legalistic. They, that group called us Pharisees, and that group over there said we were wildly out of control. Well, how the heck are we going to please all of you? Only one way, preach the word of God. <laughs> but you know what's cool about this is when you do preach the word of God, you're going to find opposition. Paul lived with it his whole life. 
There was opposition to the truth of God's word being preached. So let's just quickly go through those slides, the first one. Uh, just kind of showing you how we do this. Go right back to the beginning. Ping. This is not good for video. You will cut that piece out, <laughs> obviously. So next slide. There we go. So we're all familiar with the triangles. This is the dictatorship model of leadership where the guy at the top tells everybody what to do. No team. Everybody is subservient to him. And we do have churches that are run this way. They're one guy, one opinion, and everybody else. You, if you want to climb that ladder, you agree with him. So you basically create robots. Second one, flip it over, is the congregational model. A lot of churches nowadays are run like this. Kind of the answer politically to the world's problems is democracy. It may work politically, but it doesn't work in the church. <laughs> Let's all vote on who's our next elder. Let's all vote. Was that a good sermon or not? You know, any normal person coming into any church anywhere, including yours, they're going to find fault. But did God tell us to join? Yes. So now become part of the solution. Obviously, if it's on these non-negotiables, head out. If they preach a message that's not Christ, go and find another church immediately. It's important. But a congregational model is where we manipulated. The spirit there is manipulation. And so, you know, the, the elders can never lead properly because they can get voted off or they can get, you know, fired kind of thing. And so that's also not a godly governmental model. Next one is that's probably the most popular one today, which is egalitarianism. In other words, we all have an opinion and we're all right. Guess where that's going to go? Phantom or chaos model, this is called. Chaos. It's rebellion at its highest form, where there is no center line of truth. There is no understanding of gifts and anointings in the body, and so that's going to go nowhere. So that, that's where everybody has an opinion, and it's right. So all the truth that we have over there it can be biblical or non-biblical. It's fine. You hold that to that. That's cool. Next one is the biblical model. That's a triangle on its side, uh, which is... Expand it. Next one. Apostolic prophetic model. Works with relationships, teams, vision. Vision is not filling an auditorium. Vision isn't a bank account. Vision is we want to become more like Jesus. And the apostolic nature of this is we are moving forward. We're moving. We constantly are moving forward. So in this context, that leadership team with a captain are busy deciding on this body of doctrine. And so where the charismatic and Pentecostal movement has been criticized for the lack of it, I'm finding that there's a wonderful blend of both. I think one of the quotes in your, mag uh, your magazine, it is a magazine. Hey, Ryan. Ryan's our scribe. Um, when David Duplessis was asked to identify the difference between him and the other Christian ecumenical leaders, he responded, you have the truth, truth on ice and I have it on fire. That's what I'm aiming at, truth on fire. I don't just have cold facts that I can bomb you with and, and correct you with. I found every critical movement that comes to try and 
you know, tell the church that it's going off into extremes, never lead you into anything. They just try and criticize your excess. But we want to let truth set us free, and we want to be on fire for God with this truth. So this wonderful blend of Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so we never forsake the Word of God. The Word of God's always our plumb line. It's the foundation and the pillar of truth in any local church. And so together with the team, through experience, it's like the book of Acts is not a book of doctrine, but boy, can you get good doctrine on how to build a church. But how did it happen? As they went. You see, we can't sit in a classroom and get all our dots dotted right and all our T's crossed right. No, we, we on mission, and then God's going to show us how to put this together. That's kind of the heart behind all of this. Does that make sense? Look, at three o'clock, you're going to have a chance for questions, and you can throw some questions out. But my biggest thing is, is eldership teams need to take responsibility for that healthy body of doctrine that needs to be established in every church. So I'll throw you out a question. How do you raise your leaders? Well, I get John Maxwell's 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, and I hammer it into our people until we've got leaders. Nope. You need to go to the Scriptures. You need to go and read Acts chapter 20. You need to go and read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. You need to read these passages of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5 on eldership. You need to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 on elders and deacons and how they qualify. You need to pick up Jesus' heart in the Sermon on the Mount on character. And then from that say, okay, we're going to recognize leaders, we're going to raise leaders, and we're going to release leaders. Because all of that is leadership development. Often we only raise them to fill this auditorium and to make this thing look good. No, we raise them to release them. See how the apostolic's built into it. So you now need to have a body of truth how you raise deacons, how you raise elders, how you raise church planters. You need it because that's the sound doctrine. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 says to Timothy, he needs to be faithful to the gospel. Partnership is in the gospel. Second thing, he says you need to be faithful is to this body, the sound body of doctrine that I've imparted to you. That's quite a statement. What are you passing on to the next generation? Chamors. You know, absolute rubbish, junk. You know, it's like, you know, I said to one guy, so what are you building here with this church? He said, no, I want to be a Bethel church. She said, why are you aiming so low, bro? You know, and that's true. Well, I want to be a cornerstone. Why are you aiming so low? Don't you want to be the church God wants you to be? And, and if there is an influence that Cornerstone or Bethel gives, it's going to come through the Spirit and in your heart, and it's not just going to be me copying things. That's what's so important about this. There's a body of truth that we are educating our people in. It's keeping them safe. It's setting them free. It's presenting them with the kingdom, and we're going to pass that on. That body of truth doesn't come from seminary. We're going to get the facts and we'll get the disciplines on how to interpret. But that body of truth is going to come through relationship, through the mission we're on together, through our connection, through our inviting translocal gifts in, through our thrashing truth out. Until We, in this eldership, twice have discussed divorce and remarriage. Yes, it's such a difficult thing. And then I say to the guys, take three months to go and read all the passages on divorce and come back with an opinion. Let the scripture speak to you. Guys, come back with, 
commentaries and books and all the rest. And I said, no, I said, take the scriptures and just let God speak to you. And that's what we should be doing, students of the scriptures. And we changed from one opinion to another. It was amazing how there was definitely a change. More grace the second time we did it. We were very legalistic the first time. You know, that was it, boy, I tell you. Anybody that was divorced had to go and sit in the, you know, where the lepers sit, because that was it. They were untouchable, unusable by God forever. Uh, and I know you may differ with me. <laughs> we welcome to debate that afterwards. So elders in the local church, along with the deacons, because the deacons also need to be acquainted with truth. But elders, governmental authority in the local church, but influenced by their connection and invited authority with the translocal team. You and me, we have got blind spots. So don't think we know it all. Yes, the big thing. We, we kind of think we know it all, and then we're missing out on what God is doing. So we need to invite these guys in and listen to what they're saying, and then what has God said to us over here? We don't invite them in because, man, they can fill an auditorium or they tell great stories. We're inviting them in because they can help us so that we can be better at what we do. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.